Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It's a mini-series we've titled Old Time Religion, and uh, I'm going to be presenting themes that impacted me in the first few years of my faith, sermon topics that set the fire in my life, the direction and passion for a deep desire to be a disciple of Jesus. Anchors that lifted me back up after falling down at times over the years. These things that I'm going to be sharing with you over the next month are the things that placed in me a desire to pursue the why of the calling in my life. Why I'm still doing this. Why sometime the only reason that I'm still doing this when I've lost my way in the weeds and got caught up in the machine of churchianity, what I'm going to be sharing with you today and in weeks to come, they are the things that have brought me back to center and kept my feet on his solid ground. Old school words that set my life on course and opened my eyes to Jesus. Old time religion. Um, Here's the message today. The first message in this series is a song title and the lyric of that song, There's Room at the Cross for You. Let me tell you a little bit about that and how it touched my life, still does. I was a little kid when God started planting seeds in my life. Jesus on the cross, that idea moved me as a kid, a little kid, like the little kids that you see singing and not singing during worship time. Listen, most of the time I wasn't singing and it may not look like anything was landing, but oh, did many things land. And that's why I love, you know what, I, there's something I love more than the Shine Kids ministry in our church. You know what it is? The Shine Kids workers. That's who I love more. Because what you're doing, what you're doing to, for the Lord is what changes the world. But in my adolescent years, I fell off the bridge. What I talk to youth pastors about that are in other churches, what I talk to our youth pastor about, what I've talked to youth pastors of the past who have made great impact on our church, I would always say, whatever you do, whatever you do, try your best, pray to God to keep the kids on the bridge. For every great Bible scholar that's in your youth group with Jesus loving them and them loving the Lord and their hair on fire with the gospel. There's some kid that you might not think anything's happening, anything's working. Keep that kid on the bridge. If it's banana splits, if it's rock concerts, if it's whatever it is, keep that kid on the bridge. Because I fell off the bridge because we didn't have a bridge. And uh, as a little kid though, before that, What grabbed a hold of me as a very small boy, mostly it was the songs we sang, hymn book songs. Remember the hymn book songs? Turn to page 473. You got to a point as a good Baptist, you knew what song that was just by the number, right? I mean, anyway. Mostly the songs about the cross and the tears of a preacher. Cecil S. Smart. He was probably younger than I am now, but he seemed like 100 years old. And he was a man that had a southern draw, and he would just get all sentimental and start getting emotional about the Lord and the cross. And he would hold his hand and be, I remember back yonder. He'd say, I didn't know what yonder meant. 
but I knew his heart. I felt something. I was a little kid. I'm talking five years old. I'm talking six years old. And those tears would flow in that man's face and they weren't theatrical. They were real. And something happened in my life as a little boy beholding that. But now I'm 17 years old with a different attitude and I'm a wayfaring stranger from the kid I was as a child. And one morning, as I've told you a thousand times before, and it always bears repeating, I heard that song and I heard the lyric at the, alt, at that, at the altar call, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Written by a guy named Ira Stanfill, who lived from 1914 to 1933. He started writing Christian songs at 17 years of age when he wrote his first one. By the time he had passed away, he had written 600 others. Some of you old timers, not to raise your hand lest anybody know how old you are, I'll just ask you and you just wink at me or send me a Facebook message. Mansion Over the Hilltop, right? Uh, Supper Time, these are songs my great grandma used to play all the time. I know who holds tomorrow and I know he holds my hand, those kind of songs, and room at the cross for you. Little did I know that I would be sitting in a chapel service at Southeastern University my sophomore year and somebody that I never heard of named Ira Stanfill was there to tell his testimony and he got up and he sang, there's room at the cross for you. And I sat there only a year away from when that song touched my heart as a 17-year-old snotty, rebellious kid that said to his father before he made me go to church that morning, I won't stand, I will not sing, and I wore my Beatles baseball shirt that said Beatles, Alpha and Omega, and I did it on purpose. And I sat there, and I thought I was too cool for school. And the next thing I knew, I heard those lines, and I was in the aisle, and then I was at the front, if this was a non-Pentecostal, non-charismatic church, but there was a church filled with praying people and a praying preacher, soul-winning pastor. And then I was at the altar, and then I was on my knees, and no one in the whole room came forward but me. And I was all alone, except for my Aunt Jessie, who I thought was a Jesus freak, and she was a woman that I later realized was full of the Holy Ghost. And she laid her hands on my, my shoulders as I knelt there and she said, Timmy, get it all, honey, get it all. And I said, Jesus, please forgive me. And I experienced emotions locked up for years and he washed my heart out in the tears I cried that morning. There is power in the cross of Jesus Christ. There's room at the cross for you. It was like Cupid drew back his bow and hit me right in the heart and led me out of sin into a place of experience of eternal love for the first time in my whole life long. That was day one of my newfound faith in Jesus Christ at 17 or 18 years old. And I got up from that altar, turned toward Jesus, to his word, to his work, to his people, and to his will. It came from the message of the cross. The message of the cross is the powerful message of the church. In the mysterious words of Jesus, that the disciples could not wrap their mind around and certainly the Jewish Bible leaders of the day could not fathom even though the, the, the prophets of old said the Messiah would suffer. Nobody could get what Jesus meant when John in his gospel chapter 12 and I'm making a plug for Wednesday night, you don't want to miss that. In John 12, Jesus said, and I... If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And then John, as he does Wednesday night, peeps, the whispers, the whispers. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he would die. Paul writes about the cross being the center of the Christian message. 
In the Corinthian letter, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. He's not belittling baptism, but he's talking about something that his role was way more important in his ministry. God, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom and eloquence, lest, listen, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, I'm going to stop right there. If you can find anybody in the American young people church movement that has preached a message about souls perishing, you will find a needle in a haystack. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. Do you know where the, the, you know where the rescue power is for suicidal kids? you know where the rescue power is for kids who don't know who they are? you know where it is? It's in the message of the cross in the center of the church. It's the power of God. Here's what Paul said. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. Nothing wrong with that unless you're leaning on it. I mean, I had a buddy that in college. He was from Mississippi backwoods. And uh, he'd get a little carried away, and his name was Eugene. It wasn't Eugene. It was Eugene. And Eugene from Mississippi backwoods. Uh, would, he didn't call it the anointing, he called it the inertin. Well, if you're preaching in New York City, uh, you might have a better shot saying anointing, Eugene. But other than that, if you're full of Jesus, go ahead and say inertin. If you get him saved, just keep on saying. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying it's wrong to be wise and it's wrong to be eloquent. But he's saying about the testimony of God to really get it through. Here's the resolution. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That doesn't mean the only message you preach is about the cross, but it means the, the hub in the wheel where all the spokes are connected. The center of it is Jesus. The center of it is the cross. The center, whatever you're preaching, that's the center. That's the place. Paul knew it. As I was writing about this and as I was conversing with one of my nephews this past week in my mom's room, uh, I began to think about church kids pastor's kids and the power of the cross just going back in memory of my own family. My sisters, of course, have raised wonderful kids and watching grandkids. My, my, my kids, uh, I just have to say, by the grace of God, they're wonderful kids. And my nieces and nephews, Brooke, you see here, Dustin, you see, Tyler, uh, and, and others that are, um, that are part but, you know, they, they grew up in church, and growing up in church is not a guarantee you walk with God, right? Uh, there's as many people that need to be saved in church as out of church. Amen, Tim. And so, church, church kids, in my family, in my family, uh, my kids, my nieces and nephews, um, they, they talked about Jesus on the cross. As a matter of fact, as Mikey, my, my nephew Mikey and I were talking, he, he actually played Jesus on the cross. Like his dad played the part of Jesus in a lot of musicals back in the 80s, but Mikey was a little, a little guy and he got so into that, he would, he, would, he, would be, he would be soft in his heart about Jesus on the cross, but then if he'd get in an argument with Mandy, he'd say, Mandy, go die on the cross. I mean, and we were, we were talking about that the other day and he goes, my goodness, the only thing in my life we were just inundated with the thought about Jesus on the cross. And I looked and I said, but that wasn't a bad thing. My two kids, uh, Savannah being a little older than Devin, I ha we have a video of her standing on our coffee table and singing, at the cross, at the, and she didn't know I was going to do this and I didn't ask for permission, so I'm not looking over. At the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart wolled away. <laughs> it was there by faith, faith. F-A-I-F, faith. 
I received my sight, and now I am happy. And Devin would try to get up on the coffee table stage, and she would, in her Christian love, would push him off, push him off, <laughs> as, she, as she held her hairbrush, at the, and he would try to sing it too, and she'd push him off. <laughs> now, now I, I, I'm, I'm a master at, 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 in my in my attempt to win kids to the Lord and win them to me and to the Lord. And so uh, Tyler's kids and, uh, and uh, Dustin's kids, Brooke's kids, uh, and, 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 and your kids, whether you know this or not, or your grandkids, whether you know it or not, I have a big thing, a big stash of candy, I don't know why, in my office. And, and, and I let these kids, it got out, the, and then, and, and now it's their, it's their stash. It's not my stash, it's their stash. And they always come in and they get it. And when they're gone, they blame the other one for eating it. They always, the last one they blamed was Duke. I mean, I had a five pound bag of Skittles and all of a sudden they disappeared. And I wonder, where did they go so fast? They said, Duke took them outside and dumped them in the grass. I don't know if that's a Briner thing or a Wharton thing, but that's what happened. That's at least what they said. <laughs> But they do that and they like the bobbleheads I have of the hapless Pittsburgh Pirates. And I have some bobbleheads of some of my favorite players. And then I also have this crown of thorns up on my bookshelf. And week after week after week, those kids walk in and they see that and they look at it and they say, what is that? Lazarus used to be the one that always said it. Now it's Soren. They just go, now it's Soren. No matter when he's at Zorn Wharton, when, when he goes in there, he just it does all that stuff. Everybody leaves, he walks over and he goes, what is that? And I tell him, I've told him, I've told him a bunch of times, but it's like me when I was a little kid, the Jesus on the cross thing. I knew what it was, but I just wanted to hear it again. What is that? There's something about it. I have something burning inside of me, and it's a sense of confident conviction that old school will be the new thing in the coming Jesus revolution. And this old-time religion theme comes from that, this message about the cross. Uh, you see it at Asbury, well, what's happened there. You know what? Old school is what's happening there. Prayer, confession of sin, release of the forgiveness and intimacy of the love of God in the life of these students. That's old school, but I'll tell you what I believe. The old school is going to be the new cool in the Jesus revolution. But now there's people with different motives. They've always been around. Paul talks about those who were in the church of Galatia. And he says this, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And then he adds this, and this is, this is something that we have to think about. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Hey, many are going to have to make a decision in churches. There are ministers that are going to have to make a decision. Sadly, some are. It's not what's being preached, it's what's not being preached. Mission statements are going to have to be altered to line up with the Apostle Paul's. It's either going to be the cross or a powerless social acceptable fake good news we need the good news but let me give you the context that makes news good the context is your death sentence has been revoked that's good news that means you were gonna be executed and you knew it and you felt that thing but guess what we found other evidence. We're, we're, you're released. You're not, we know you're not guilty now. Your cancer that's killing you after the last test, it's not there. Anybody think you'd... Would you just go, well, I don't want to get emotional in church. Uh, the YouTube prophets might say something. Anyway, your penalty for sin is death. But Christ carried your death sentence to Golgotha's hill and paid it all in full for you. That's good news. That's good news. Have we removed the full message of the cross from the message of grace? The full message of the cross. The privilege of knowing God as your heavenly father is only bestowed on those who pass through the blood of his son. 
Are we leaving part of the message out when we talk about the cross today, if we talk about the cross today? God loved people so much he gave his son. Amen. Because you and I were perishing. We would perish and we will perish in spite of God so loving if we don't have a crisis, crucible experience at the cross. Why was his son on that cross? Some will say, to show the love of God. That is true. But also, he was on that cross because we put him there. He was on that cross because we put him there. One of the old, one of the old spirituals says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? You know what? We were. We were holding the hammer. Peter said it this way to Jewish people who were at Passover worshiping God. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be released instead. You killed the source of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're witness of this now. Brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance, so repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped away and God will send times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Do you see, do you see all the beams and the post on that message? Do you see all the beams, all the posts on that message? A half message about the cross is the cross covers you without crushing your self-will, self-revolt, and self-coronation of your own justifying life in the name of God loves. I'm bringing this message with hope. A new generation hears Heaven's King ask you this. Will you in spite of whatever, will you hear God and pick up the mantle of the scandal of preaching the only way, the only one, the stubborn stone of offense, and the majesty of my son's cross? Or will you be ashamed in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation? It was... Here is why we can't be ashamed of preaching the whole cross. Because he carried our shame to it. Our soul, toxic. Our venom, he absorbed in himself. Avon is the Hebrew word for iniquity. Iniquity sounds like sin, but you know, sin's a word. Avon means dark depravity with a with, a, with an inclination toward, I don't care. You were crushed for our avon. You were crushed for our avon. Listen. So Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, past Pentecostal, non- cessationist bring it all preterist dispensationalist baptist lutheran as the little kid in the movie said methodist whether you say faith or faith whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves look for that needle too take up your cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever will lose their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? And here's how Jesus said it. Yet forfeit your soul. What will you give to God? You're cute. 
in exchange for your soul. Have you ever put your card in the thingy at the market or at the gas pump and it goes, eh, card rejected. Everything other than the blood of Jesus Christ through a gut-wrenching awareness of confession and turning, everything else will be rejected. Everything else. Is there room for the cross of Christ in this new generation? Anybody listening to me? I just wonder, anybody, anybody listening to me? Is there room for the cross? Here's why we need to make room intentionally. Here's why in today's world, when, when the trains left the station and it ain't coming back, here is why we need to be intentional. Why? Because it's theologically right. It's the power of God. It's where the Holy Spirit always points. It's where all of history has converged itself on that hill it's what defines the eternal state of your soul, my soul, my loved one's souls, every person walking the streets in New York City, everybody on Fox News or as the world turns or doesn't turn anymore, whatever. Every person, every celebrity, every cool for school person, every pre everybody. This is where it's decided where you spend eternity. It's all about the cross. And here's another reason why we need to make room for his honor. Listen, here's what's going on in outside of time and space. John saw the window of it. This is happening all the time. Heaven's thunderous applause and voice of praise is in a pulsating crescendo, worshiping the lamb that was slain. And guess where he is? He is in the center of the throne room of God. He's not a spoke while we talk about stress and marriage victories and how to have a breakthrough financially by using your faith. No, 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 friend. Kick it all out. Ain't nobody going to be up there going, look at my crown. The last I checked, everybody's saying, this one shouldn't be on my head. To the lamb that was slain. Come on now. Old school, old time religion. Timmy Hampton, you watching? One of my old buddies from Southeastern, he does sometime. I posted that today and he said, it was good for Paul and Silas. I said it was good for Professor Bruce too. The testimony of Jesus is the true spirit of prophecy and anyone that prophesies outside of that context is a false professor of the gospel. We need to make room theologically. We need to make room personally. How do we make room personally? Well, we make room to deal with the guilt of our sin. Carl Menninger, long, long time ago, wrote a book one time called Whatever Happened to Sin? David says, for day and night, your hand, God's hand, was heavy on me. Hey, listen, when God is coming heavy on, on your kid or your friend or whatever, don't try to get God's hand off. Don't work against God when God's trying to work a deep level of heavy on somebody. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my avon. I said, I will confess. This is what they did at Asbury. This is why the Holy Spirit came with a mantle of grace and mercy and love on those students because they did this. They walked up on the platform, professors and students, and said, you know what? I've been living this life, but here's what's been going on for real, and I'm not right with God. And the place went into lunar orbit. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave. That means you take it off me, take it on you, and take it somewhere else. You forgave the what? The guilt of my sin. Don't try to get guilt off somebody when God's trying to put it on them to get them out of it. Let the process go. Let the process continue. Mama, don't come try to save your kid. God's trying to save your kid. Mm, that was, mm. 
Heavenly guilt is your friend who awakens you to your need for forgiveness and the remedy of grace. Why some don't want to preach this? Because people don't want to hear that. And why some don't want to come around is because they're guilty and they don't want to be reminded. I mean, it's, it's not a mystery. But here's the thing. Here's what I found out. This eight-year-old little boy that got off the bridge, then he didn't want the bridge. Because that's, ha- that's what happens. That's what happens. Train up a child in the way he should go. I, I believe in all that. And when, I, you know, I'll tell you what. It's only the mercy of God that pulled in and cashed in his investment on me because I wasn't going. We can think we make a deal and we deceive ourselves. But God says, let's make a deal at the only place where you can make a deal. Let's make a deal at the foot of the cross. God did that. God made a deal there. He said, it's finished. A transaction took place, paid in full. And then he says, God says, come, let's reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white like wool. People that I've known in my life who stick with Christ is because Christ stuck them. And they have the same arguments with people who make the excuses and walk out and walk away. They have the same life experiences. The only difference is when it comes down to it, choice this or choice that, Jesus stuck them and it sticks. And most of them have a story about Golgotha's hill. That's my story, Tim, and I'm sticking to it. You notice I have an anointing to make a bunch of kids unhappy when I'm preaching (laughs) in our church. I hope they turn around and like me someday. I have a hard time with not being liked. The Bible is filled with this kind of transaction. Zechariah prophesies of a day that this will turn all of Israel toward him. I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem and they will look at me whom they pierced. Listen, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. In other words, they will be so struck by the vision of the cross, it would be like they were mourning with their, if, their, if their child died. They will mourn bitterly for him like they lost their only child. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as when King Josiah was killed in battle in the plain of Megiddo. The land will even mourn. Families will mourn. Prophets will mourn. Women will pull away by themselves. Zechariah 12. Where's that? Oh. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David to wash away sin and impurity. When the centurion stood at the foot of the cross and Jesus had breathed his last, he glorified God. Something happened there. And he said, this man really was righteous. And the crowds that had been there mocking earlier in that moment left that place striking their chests. I'm glad someone, oh, don't, don't, honey, honey, don't, don't, don't. No, no, strike it, man. Let the power of the cross Stick a generation again. Paul talks about this kind of a change that happens by the cross making an impact in the Corinthian church. He says, look, I have enough scriptures I put on the screen, but I just threw some more at you. This one isn't up there yet. These guys do a great job following me. But listen to Paul's description of getting hit with the truth of God, being moved by the Holy Spirit. And watch the emotion of this. Listen closely. He said, I'm overjoyed, not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to a deep repentance. This is 2 Corinthians, I think, 7. You experienced, listen, godly sorrow as God intended it. A lot of reasons why there isn't godly sorrows because there isn't a godly gospel with the cross at the center. 
the old time religion, the old school is going to become the new cool and the new tool that the Jesus revolution that's beginning right now is going to pick up and carry through this next generation. I know it. Amen. Going to embarrass a lot of people that were trying to put up props and dog whistles to bring people out of the world. Just saying it. Watch it. God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. This leaves us with no regrets, but the sorrow of the world works death. Can't you see the good fruit that has come as God intended because of your remorse over your sin? Now you're eager to do what's right. The indignation you experienced has alarmed you. What holiness has been awakened? What passion for God? Look it up, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. Lots of room at the cross. There's room at the cross. Now stay with me. It's going to get a little harder. This is the part of the surgery that you're going to want to make sure you're, you're clear here. I'll do my best. Make it quick. There's room for more than a reason to judge the whole world at the cross. In other words, God has more than one reason to judge the whole world. The Bible says in the Old and the New Testament, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all gone our own way. That's a choice. This is in Isaiah and it's in Romans, Old and New. We've all turned to our own way choice. We looked and said, no. And God saw that. God sees it. We willfully, listen guys, listen ladies, wonderful Beautiful people, we are more than mistake makers. We're more than mistake makers. We're willful rebels. And we do it nicely. We have all kinds of fig leaves to cover up. But with all that, God seeing all that about us decides to come for the fallen ones instead. He decides to provide for those who are spurning him, who have spurned him, and will continue to do so. And the provision wasn't a lamb. The provision wasn't a ram. The provision wasn't a goat. The provision is not gold and silver. Listen, the provision was his only son. There is more than enough room to judge the whole wide world based on this. Based on this. Not about you. Not about me. Not about whether we're loved or not or how we're going to feel about it. It's about his son on that cross. And that's more than a reason to judge the whole world for blowing it off. That's what God showed Abraham with Isaac on Mount Moriah. Do you know why he took him there? Because he wanted Abraham to feel God's heart. God loves his son. Jesus is the true Itzhak. He's the true Isaac. He's heaven's son of laughter. God loves the world, but he loves his son more. Does that offend you? Oh, I'm just going to storm off and let to your own doom. And he's made room at the cross for everyone in the whole world. But that's his only son on that cross. The Savior still waits to open the gate and welcome a sinner before it's too late. Because of the cross, he can forgive every and any repentant sinner, but also judge every sinner in the world for rejecting his son. Make no mistake, the New Testament says it this way. 
in Hebrews chapter 10. If we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of this truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In other words, card in, eh. If the Jewish nation that saw the Shekinah glory that had laws given from the finger of God don't get in, cute doesn't get in. People who want God to be them and make God them and welcome them, that eh. And it's not because God's mean. God loves his son. It would be unjust and dishonorable for all that his son paid in to just say, well, for you, well, well, uh, you gave how much to the church last year? $70? Come on in. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve? Who has, here's how God sees it. Not how Pastor Fluffy sees it. Here's how God sees it. Who has trampled under their feet the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant as nothing and insulted the spirit of grace. It's another needle sermon. From this time, Paul said, I know no human being after the flesh. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Jesus said, don't rejoice that you have power over demons. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If anyone's name was not found in the Lamb's book of life, what happens? What happens? Jesus himself was clear on this. This wasn't a Paul get you. This wasn't a clobber verse. Jesus said to the Jews, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Now that, that is the proper context. That's the surgical prep for the good news. Because at the cross, when God could have all that, when angels, I don't know if they understood it or not, I can't imagine a warrior angel up there watching Jesus suffer and die and weep and everything else that went on that no one ever talks about that happens to a human being as they're being asphyxiated to death and, and being hung on a tree. I don't, we don't even go there. We don't even want to go there. But I can't imagine there not being one angel say, just say when. Just say when. Why aren't you saying when? Because God is not about wanting to judge us. We judged ourselves. He gave his only son. This is the good news of the gospel. This is a love beyond comprehension. This is a love that is outside of space and time because the one we've rejected, the one we've spurned, the one who is up there has, is making room so you and I can experience a personal embrace from God. Though millions, this is what got me. This is how I was in that Sunday morning. That was my heart. That was my attitude. I didn't want to crucify Jesus, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And I heard, though millions have called him a friend and turned from the sins they have sinned, this got me. The Savior still waits to open the gate and welcome a sinner before it's too late. And God knew that that 17 and a half year old, whatever he was, lost boy, that eight-year-old was inside and he cashed in his chips and it got a hold of me. It got a hold of me because that's what the power of the gospel does. That's what the revelation of the one on that cross does. How much do you love me, Jesus? Let me show you. I'll stretch out my hands and I'll let them nail them to a tree and I'll die for you. This is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us while we were a sebia, while we were ungodly with an inclination to want to be. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God knew that was the natural revelation of ourselves to the holiness of God. God went anyway. God said, Abraham, stop. I'll do it. I'll provide the lamb. But he didn't provide a lamb. He provided his own son. He provided his own son. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter, brothers, what do we do to be saved? And he said, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy... What? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? You'll receive the one that waited on the word of the Son to say, let there be light and brought out of nothing every glorious thing that made Adam come to life animated and his wife comes to him and he says, wow, what? And then God does wonderful things. Let the birds of the air fly. Let the fish of the sea jump through and leap through the, and all of that. And, and we turn from it. Generations we turn. And he says, I'll, I'll do it myself. I'll give you the gift of the Spirit. I will send times of refreshing from my presence to you. I kneel at that altar in that sort of state, aware of my guilt, and I said, Jesus, please forgive me. Forgive me? Forgive me? There is room to forgive the whole wide world. There's room to forgive every soul at the cross. There's room because he paid for everybody. But why did he pay? What did he pay? Pilate said, what will you do with Jesus? They said, give us Barabbas. And we said, give me a grace without repentance. Give me a covering for my selfish ways. Give me a savior, but I don't want to have to call him Lord. Thank you very much. The cross hasn't stuck you then. And then when it gets too close, some of the backslidden professors that sit in the seat of authority in New Testament theology and in universities are now saying it's a myth, that it's been a made-up story. Here's my thing. It's amazing. It's so amazing how this mythical figure and his fable still has a power to work life-lasting chains in Chinese, in Iranians, in people in Saudi Arabia, in India, and Pakistan. It's amazing. And the portrait of a message of a man that you've never seen or met still crushes a heart because you see he was crushed. He was innocent but charged and convicted and humiliated and asphyxiated on a cross. And like, uh, like it happened all the time for years, thousands during the Greco-Roman times. What's different about this that makes within 40 years of his death, Roman soldiers and senators are calling him Christ the Lord. What makes a folk happen like that where idolatrous cities throughout all of Asia Minor thousands of miles away from Jerusalem having never seen this man are changed by the same message you're hearing today that's pretty that's pretty powerful and persuasive from 12 lying fishermen It's still touching Russian kids and little kids downstairs today. It's amazing what the power of such folklore can do. But I'm here to tell you as we close, it's not a myth. It's not a fable. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What Paul describes that happened to him, I read it the first time I ever read it in this translation, and I thought, boy, oh boy, that's the same thing that happened to this kid at 17 and a half years old. I describe it as a Jesus gully wash, and this is what happened to Paul. And remember who he was, right? It says, mercy kissed me. 
even though I used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor of believers, and a scorner of what turned out to be true. I was ignorant and didn't know what I was doing. I was flooded with such incredible grace, like a river overflowing its banks. And I read that and I thought, that's exactly what happened to me. Until I was full of faith and love for Jesus, I can testify that this word is true and deserves to be received by everybody. Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life, even me, the worst one of all. But he did it for me. He captured me so Jesus Christ could display through me and through you the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen and believed for all of time and all of eternity. Now to the King Eternal who lives in indestructible, invisible, and glorious light, the only God who is worth, come on Jesus, who is worthy of the highest honor throughout all of time, throughout all eternity and eternities. Amen. This gospel, this gospel, this gospel, not a new one, not a reimagined one, not a deconstruct, may God be true and you prove to be a liar. Jesus Christ is worthy to be preached. This cross needs to be planted in the center of every man's church. I was seated, I was seated in a choir loft at Central Assembly of God, 18 and a half years old, and my pastor Ken Owen was preaching about the cross. Pastor Owen, when they built the new church out on the hill out there, which I was a part of, he wanted a sanctuary designed so you saw crosses everywhere. And less than a year from the time I heard there's room at the cross for you, I was sitting right behind him. He was my hero. And I was a kid on fire with a choir robe on me. <laughs> hey. And I remember him preaching about things in the world and people going nuts and the, uh, people getting lukewarm and all this. And then all of a sudden he kicked into a gear and I'll never forget it. I bought the cassette. I played that thing till you had to stick your pencil in and get the thing to do the thing and I, all that stuff because of this that I didn't want to hear him say over and over again. He shifted into a gear and he said, I still believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. I still believe in a blood that flows. I still believe in a Christ who's triumphant. We must preach this gospel, church, he said. And in that moment, God confirmed that I was born to preach the gospel that day. As I continue to close. Why preach the whole message of the cross? It's not going to be popular. Listen, here's why we need to preach the whole message of the cross. Watch me. They've done this before. Because, Jesus, I know this. You know this. We know this. Know it in our knower. The cross crushed the devil's power and disarmed every argument he could ever throw against you. The cross made a coffin to bury your sin and all of its power and its devastating effect was broken. And when we break down at the foot of the cross, he raises us up. There are people who believe they can't change. There are those who've tried every way to change. But we're not called to change, we're called to exchange. I was crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If there's another way, I will frustrate the grace of God and Christ will have died for nothing for me. No way, man. No way, not in this church, not here. There is no heroes but one. Who is worthy to take the scroll and break its seals? And I wept, John said, because no one in heaven 
or on earth was worthy. And one of the elders said to me, don't weep. For look, church, look. The lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And he looked to see a lion and he saw a lamb standing in the center of the throne of God looking like he had been slain. And the Greek word is for slaughtered. And he walked up to the one seated on the throne and he took the book from the hand of God. And when he did and began to open the scroll, angels beyond number, millions of millions, an unnumbered number of unnumbered numbers began to worship and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive all glory, all power, all dominion. And the four living creatures shouted, amen. And heaven shook and the thunder roared. And every elder with the crowns on their head took them off and they bowed down and laid them at the feet of the Lamb of God. Put the cross back in the hearing of a generation of kids who've had years stolen from their life, who are following people who don't even know where they are, let alone where they're going, and need to find something. And you look to the north, you look to the south, you look to the east, you look to the west, you look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It doesn't come from the hills. It doesn't come from the north, the south. It comes from God. The same Jesus that came into the time that they needed him most is the same Jesus who is coming this way. He's coming this way. He's coming this way. And those who preach the cross, those who are not ashamed, listen, young man, listen, generation of students, will you, are, are, if you replace what the, this message with something more popular, easier to swallow, to avoid being persecuted, listen, I'll tell you what will happen to you. You will have a powerless walk. You will have a powerless witness. You will have a powerless church. But if you embrace it, the glory of God will come visit you if you're walking through the hallways of your school that's godless. If you will preach this, they'll come from north, south, east, and west because they're going to be starving with a famine in the land for the words of the Lord. You stand up. You do it. I'm calling on you. I'm calling on you. I will not, not, not give this up. I want everybody to stand, please. If you don't like my volume, call Tim Skiles. If you like what I preach, send it to me. If you don't, send it to Tim Skiles. He'll make sure I never get it. Lord, we just ask you to move right now. I don't know what time it is. You watch your live stream. Hey, dude, you're going down the road. Listen to this podcast. Sorry if I broke your speakers. I ask this question from the Lord, I believe. Have you truly knelt at the foot of the cross of my son? I mean truly knelt to the point where you melt. Have you truly knelt to the point where you melt in all humility and brokenness? When I did, I felt like God took a bucket, filled it with the ocean full of love. I'll never be able to explain it and I've never been able to chase it down since. It's never happened to me like that since then. But the rest of my life, there have been moments, like I said at the start, where the machine got too miserable and all the meaning of it all, you started to wonder. And I went back to that place that I'll never, if you ever see me somewhere denying God, you can look at me right in the face and say, you're lying through your teeth and just say this, Wesleyan Church, 220 South, on a January in 1980. And I'll say, you're right. You're absolutely right. He cast the fear out of my life and created a passion and that's what happens when the cross Paul talked about and the cross Jesus hung on and the cross that they preached up about for the first thousand years. That's why we know the gospel because somebody didn't water down the message of the cross.
let's let that impact us today. Whether you make an altar at your seat, whether you make one up here, I'm going to call you to the cross. Kid like me, church kid, you're used to religion, you're used to Christianity, you have me figured out, you know when I'm going to stop, you know all, you have it all down. But listen, I pray right now, something God your way comes. And I pray we have a meltdown in the mercy of God all around this room and it will change everything for you and your family for the glory of God. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.